Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. The first highlight is from Will Ford and Matt Lockett, who made a startling discovery about their family trees, which has propelled them to address matters relative to racial reconciliation. Then you'll be hearing from former Sportsman Channel host Jason Cruz, providing insight on what it means to be a man in a confused culture and how that knowledge can be passed on to sons. And from All Things Possible Ministries, it's Victor Marks describing his heart for doing humanitarian work in the Middle East. He previews an upcoming mission to help women and children in Iraq. And on this edition of The Intersection, co-creator of the Hallmark Channel series, When Calls the Heart, Brian Bird, discussing a devotional book centered around Christmas and the culture of Hope Valley, the fictional town in which the series is set. Plus, a report from Eastern North Carolina, which has faced massive devastation in the wake of Hurricane Florence. Al Goff of Global Aid Mission, a ministry of Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, provided an on-the-scene report about the physical and spiritual relief his organization is providing. Finally, addressing issues relative to sexuality and the brokenness that can occur in those areas, you'll be hearing insight from Jay Stringer, who has worked as a therapist and has studied related topics. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Will Ford III is the director of the Marketplace Leadership Major at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas. Matt Lockett serves as executive director of the Justice House of Prayer in Washington, D.C., They've co-authored a book entitled The Dream King, How the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is Being Fulfilled to Heal Racism in America. They discussed with me how their two family storylines intersected and their desire to speak on race relations through Christ. Here now are Will Ford and Matt Lockett. Just as Matt was led to the Lincoln Memorial because of a dream, I was led to the Lincoln Memorial because of a dream, too. I had a dream about the dream of Martin Luther King. You know, you, you can see the full details of the dream in, in, in our book. But the thing is, we were both led to Lincoln Memorial because of dreams to the place where Dr. King gave his amazing speech and not knowing each other, right? So here's what happens is that uh, over time, you know, we of course we compared notes. We we meet each other that, that night. Uh, my locket spelled their last name with one T at the end, his with two his were from Kentucky. Mine were from Louisiana. We thought, oh, you know, what a nice coincidence. <laughs> we thought it was great. Well, eventually Matt winds up uh, moving to D.C. And, and uh, I was actually one of his first board members when he uh, took over his ministry there in uh, in D.C. We were friends for like a good 19 years. Well, fast forward four years ago, five years ago now, Matt found out some startling uh, information regarding where the Civil War ended, the last battle of General Lee, where it actually ended. Matt, why don't you, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, well, uh, it's just that we, we found out, we finally got breakthrough in our genealogy, and it goes back to uh, being settlers in Virginia in the 17th century. But then we found out that the last battle of the American Civil War, uh, is, it was at a place called the Battle of Lockett's Farm. We found out it, it actually took place in my family, my ancestors' mm. family's front yard. Oh and that goodness. was, that was uh, stunning to us because of uh, what it means for the story. Wow. So, you know, so, so, so here it is, you know, he finds out that we thought, oh, that's, that's amazing. I hear this old kettle pot in my family where they prayed underneath you know, the, the, their pot for freedom, and you have this house well, which literally stood between north and south. The last battle of Germany was at the house. We thought, man, what a cool coincidence. We have this 
these both these Civil War histories and, and, and connections together. But then we stumbled on some other research, as God would have it, and we did a, another like a year and a half of research, and we found that Matt's family is the family that owned my family, where that kettle pot came from. And think about it. This happened to two guys, Bob, who mm. met at the Lincoln Memorial, both led by dreams, on MLK Celebration Day, to the place where Dr. King said in his I Have a Dream speech, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners could sit together at the table of brotherhood. So we're just like, maybe this dream speech wasn't just poetry. Maybe it was prophecy. Maybe there's something bigger going on where there's a dream king, the king of kings himself, Jesus Christ, who said in John 17, Father, I pray that they will be one so that your glory could come so that the world would believe. Maybe God's not giving up on America, and maybe he's using this whole thing as a sign that there's coming a major turnaround with healing the racial divide. And we believe just that. What would you say would be the essence of the message that you would want to communicate to Christians in America? Uh, Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And it's only pleasant when we dwell together in unity. It gets very unpleasant when we're, we're, when we're divided. So the deal is only a united church can heal a divided nation. And that's what God is doing right now. We're seeing it happen all over the country. We, you see the news accounts. You see other things that are happening. But I'm telling you, there's a grassroots effort mm. of things that God is doing and, and, and storylines he's connecting like ours where we see healing coming to the racial divide. So that's the one thing. that I want the church to get a part, be a part of that right now because it's going to take a united church to heal a divided nation. Matt, anything you would add? Yeah, I would just add that uh, what we've what we've tried to capture in this book is the, this revealed story that God has been at work for a long time, longer than we think, longer than we give Him credit, and He's writing a story that is redemptive. There's healing in it, and uh, what Will and I are finding is that we we need each other. We God by design, God is weaving our lives together in powerful ways and there's 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 great joys and there's great pain in the story but 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 god is weaving us together in a way that that he is going to i think put on display uh an an answer to the prayer of his son jesus when he prayed in john 17 i pray that they would be one so that the world would believe i believe that god is about to release a, a supernatural unity and a, and a redemptive storyline in the church that's going to touch the nation, and many mm. are going to believe. Will Ford and Matt Lockett here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website dreamstreamcompany.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's author, speaker, and former host on the Sportsman Channel website, Jason Cruz, pastor of Clearview Baptist Church in Franklin, Tennessee. He shared principles related to men raising sons from a Christian perspective as he expresses in the book, In the Thick of It, Raising Sons to be Men of Unyielding Conviction in a Culture of Confusion. This is Jason Cruz now. A couple of things came together in, in a confluence of ideas. One was the simple fact of where I saw society headed. And, and this will be no shock to anybody, but you know, even my youngest son, Tucker, he's seven now. And when Tuck was born seven years ago, even as little as seven years ago, nobody was saying on the television every day that we're not even sure if your anatomy makes you a boy or not. 
I mean, no, that, that's how fast it's mm, happened, yeah. you know? I mean, so I saw the onslaught of culture. Um, I also saw just a lot of parents trying to be their kid's best friend. And, and it, it's, it's crippling sons, getting them ready for the real world. You know, we, we live in a society that, that just, I, I think, um, dads, all of us need help. I mean, my, I, and I'm, I don't mean that in false humility. We all need help. But, but I think we also need encouragement to know that, standards that worked 50 years ago about manhood and class and honor and all of those, all, all of that worldview, that stuff works. And, and this world desperately needs real men and real men are men. If you're a real man, it's because you had a daddy that taught you how to do that and follow the Lord and, and have that kind of worldview. So all that kind of came crashing together. Tell me about what you see as your place at the table, if you will, with respect to speaking into the hearts of fathers these days. Huh, that's a that's a great question. You know, I, I think for me, what, one of the, one of the things that, as far as my place, there's a there's a you know you can think I heard an old axiom one time pioneers always get to see the new land first, but, th- mm. but they're also the ones that get shot at by the Indians. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I don't know that I would consider myself a pioneer, but what I would consider myself is someone willing to stand by themselves. Um, if, if I have to be the only man left and, and, and I'm certainly not the only man left, but I, I had, in fact, I had a talk last night with my son, just a small talk about something going on. And, and I, we talked about leadership and I said, you know what, Cole, I said, a, a real leader has to be willing to walk his own path, even when everybody else thinks he's wrong. And, and if you know that you're right with the Lord, you, you, you can't back up. And, and I think that's where my place is, is to give encouragement to other men to say, look, I don't care what you see or what you face. You follow the Lord Jesus, follow biblical mandates. And because, you know, here's the deal, Bob, one of these days I'm going to die. I am. I'm going to die, but I'm not. And I, and I don't mean this to be ugly. I mean this to be just as, as sincerely honest as I know how to be. I'm going to die one day. But you know what? I'm not going to stand before Oprah. I'm not going to stand before Matt Lauer. I'm not going to stand before Jimmy Kimmel or, or any any host or any person anywhere, any president, any secretary of education. I'm going to stand before a holy God. And, and when I do that, I want to have lived my life according to his principles, not that of pop culture. Well, let's dig down a little bit deeper here. You talk about this concept of pop culture fatherhood. What does that look like? What are some of the trends you see with respect to fatherhood in pop culture that are are run contrary to the principles of God's word? You know, I, I tell you, I get that question a lot, and and I would say one of the trends I saw as a dad, I saw all these dads and in moms too trying to be their kid's best friend, and and that is just not my goal. You know, my my and I, I think I learned that from my dad. You know, me and my dad are really close, and I I had and I do have a great father, but my daddy was never getting up every day. His goal wasn't to be my son's best friend. His goal was to raise a man. And, and, uh, I would say that pop culture wants to be, uh, definitely their kid's best friend. And I also think that you see a lot of parents buying into a lie, a lie on things, even like spanking or discipline. Uh, you know, again, looking back to my dad, buddy, my, my daddy was a big believer that pain and bad decisions always go together. 
And so, you know, uh, man, my dad wore me out when I was young. My daddy wasn't hard on me. He wasn't mean to me. He wasn't harsh at all. But my dad taught me that sin has consequences. And, buddy, it does. Jason Cruz here on The Intersection. His website address is jasoncruz.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. He discussed with me aspects of the humanitarian work in which he is involved in the Middle East, including reaching out to women and children there. He previewed in our conversation an upcoming mission trip to Iraq. Here now from that conversation is Victor Marks. You know, actually, that's why I joined the Marine Corps. It was after the Beirut bombing uh, that sparked me to go into a recruiter. Um, and, you know, I it my hatred... Uh, which was really, I was transferring it from my childhood in justice I experienced to a people group, the Arabs and Muslims. And yet the Lord in his grace and wisdom and his ability to change hearts, changed mine. Um, and now we're serving <laughs> the Arabs and, and loving Muslims and reaching their children, many who've been affected by ISIS, both in Iraq and Syria, and to date, we've helped about 26,000 children so far. Oh, my goodness. That is so awesome. And, Victor, I want you to take us back to that first mission as you really sensed God was calling you to go into that region of the world. What was it like for you, especially in a in a neighborhood, if you will, that, that, that we might describe as being rather full of conflict and and not not a particularly safe part of the world. Right. Well, you know, we our first pump into Iraq was uh, soon after ISIS had invaded and were taking over cities and villages, and they were uh, capturing women and children. They were slaughtering men and anybody who resisted, and then they were making sex slaves out of girls. So we got an initial call. From a friend who the Kurdistan regional government had, you know, really begged uh, that an American team of trauma specialists would come and help. Um, and we put together that team of some wonderful people and really good security because I believe in angels and I believe in people who are gifted to, uh, you know, to what I would say deter or stop the manifestation of evil. Because we really were in, well, easiest way, we were in shooting distance of ISIS uh, on several occasions. And we saw God's hand protect us, provide, and we were able to reach a number of young women who were really just, I mean, that what they endured is beyond what I can even say on this radio program. Mm. But to give your listeners a, just a clue... There was one gal that had been raped 30 times before lunch. So they were preferring death over life. And, um, and I mean, there were, there were no girls who even died or were burned to death because they wouldn't marry ISIS fighters. So that's the type of evil you're speaking about. And, you know, the courageous ones are the ones who endured, the ones who are there. And people like my wife. Uh, who actually came with me on the team. And I asked her, why do you want to go? Because it was very, you know, it, it wasn't sitting right with me. And she said, honey, when you find those girls who've been abused, and I know you will, 
you can't hug him, but I can. And I just, I just feel like God wants me. And she, not only has she gone, she's gone multiple times. And um, we're preparing for our ninth trip into Iraq. And we actually have a residence there now uh, as we're planning to start looking for land for our second orphanage. So oh, we're wow. excited that this trip we're going to be able to provide and follow up on a super critical humanitarian need uh, in southern Iraq. Basra, there's a water, a horrible water contamination. Iranian sewage is flowing into an Iraqi town. There's there's tribal conflict and fighting, and there's so many children, thousands that have been poisoned oh. by horrible water. So, yeah, we're looking to bring in uh, over 70, yeah, 60 to 70,000 bottles of water. And we just ask your listeners, man, pray for us, and you can find out more about it at victormarkswithamex.com. Victor Marks here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website victormarks.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection Podcast is also available on the Faith Radio app, Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Also, through that homepage, you will find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page and get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Brian Bird is co-creator and one of the executive producers of the Hallmark Channel series, When Calls the Heart. He shared with me about the concept and content of the devotional book co-written with Michelle Cox called When God Calls the Heart at Christmas, Heartfelt Devotions from Hope Valley. Here now is Brian Bird. This is, a, as you said earlier, is a follow-up to the original devotional that we did, When God Calls the Heart, which was a series of... Uh, devotionals uh, inspired by the episodes uh, of When Calls the Heart. You know, we have done now five seasons worth of, of episodes, and so it's given us a lot of rich ground to, to, to work from. And the idea of the original devotional was to take the conversation, to, 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 to identify the God moments in the show, and then to take that conversation deeper. For, for readers and for families, because we heard from a lot of families, we just love the show so much, we watch it over and over again, so we can discuss it with our kids. And so what we wanted to do is provide a, a vehicle for them to, to, to take a deeper dive into the spiritual and, and, and theological moments that come out of the show and discuss them, explore them, to ask questions about them, to challenge themselves, to, you know, to, to, you know, to implement some of those ideas into their own lives. Um, so When God Calls the Heart at Christmas is a follow-up to that original book, but we thought, you know, we have now done uh, four holiday movies, soon to be five holiday movies, uh, 
it, you know, as part of the making of the series and that those movies provided us quite a bit of good material in terms of the God moments uh, in those episodes. And so what we wanted to do was to do a, a 25 day devotional, uh, almost an Advent devotional that people mm-hmm. could could use for their holiday, you know, for the month leading up to Christmas um, on, a, on a daily basis. But the the thing that we've added this time, Bob, which I, I'm so thrilled about is that, as you said, potpourri, it really is uh, a, a beautiful stew made <laughs> by the Hardys and for the Hardys. Okay. Um, what we did is we solicited from the fans of the show themselves, and there are now number millions of them. Uh, you know, this is not something we invented. The Hardys are something are invented themselves because <laughs> of their their hunger and their longing for a show like this. And so we identified, uh, or I, I'm sorry, we recruited fans to contribute their own stories. And their, their, their Christmas traditions, some of the Christmas traditions that they practice in their families, some of this, the meaningful stories, Christmas stories from their own experience, and lastly, some of their best Christmas recipes. And we have combined those in each of the chapters with our devotional content. Uh, and, and now we have a, almost a, a keepsake sort of collectible Christmas book full of, of, of stories and traditions and recipes and devotions uh, all centered around, you know, all the themes of Christmas. And I love, I love it when, when there's some democracy in a book like this, that the Hardys have, are speaking now, right? They're getting to share their own as part of a community. They're getting to share their own stories and recipes and, and traditions with the rest of the Hardys. And so that's what When God Calls the Heart at Christmas is all about, and I, I couldn't be more thrilled with it. Brian Bird here on The Intersection. Find out more at the website whengodcallstheheart.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, a report from eastern North Carolina where there was significant devastation from Hurricane Florence. Al Goff, president and CEO of Global Aid Network, a ministry of crew, discussed his organization's activities in providing physical and spiritual relief. Here now is Al Goff. We have uh, offices in several places in the United States. We have a, a warehouse in Pennsylvania. So we immediately, as we saw the hurricane approaching, uh, activated kind of our early warning system and started mobilizing volunteers for one. Second thing we did is we started staging supplies. We staged supplies in South Carolina, uh, closer in from Pennsylvania, Florida, to get ready to mobilize and move. Uh, The hurricane struck, and as soon as we felt like there was an opportunity to come in, we come in on Saturday and set up uh, operation center at uh, one of the local churches called the bridge, which has done a fabulous job of hosting us so that we could, so that we could start the process of assessment, just taking a look at the needs, taking a look at the things that are, that are, uh, are broken that we can, our interventions would help and then immediately start uh, helping. So we brought in crews to do chainsawing. There's been sawing 
wood off of houses and getting and getting uh, roads cleared and things. We brought in teams to do uh, home restoration, which is I'm on site in Leland doing that today. We brought in uh, uh, supplies, lots of fresh water, and even fresh water bucket filters so that people, if they've got access, if they, you know, even if water's standing in their yard, they could drink it and it's portable and doesn't have weight and doesn't need disposal so that they could you could get restored. We so we mobilized uh, in advance of the hurricane, and then it was one of the first boots in the ground right after it happened. And you have people that have essentially lost everything, or the things that they have possessed have been damaged extensively. What does that do to a person's mental and emotional state and especially their spiritual state? And how is your approach really unique as far as helping to minister to people who have faced this kind of loss? That's a great question. What we try to do is we come in here first with the idea that the the dignity of the individual is what matters. What people need in this environment is hope. Uh, as much as they need help with the physical side, most when they, even if they got out and then they returned from Raleigh or wherever they were at or in any environment, the moment they see their homes, the moment they see their, their supplies, the things that they've spent a lifetime collecting destroyed. One family, for example, had saved up 10 years to buy a home just two months ago purchased a home in this area just two months ago after saving up 10 years for a home and suddenly it's completely gone and so it's it's the tra- the trauma of this is much more than people can even understand because of the suddenness of seeing it or even living through it so the first thing we tell uh, that I would instru- uh, that I would uh, encourage people to do is a pray before they get involved. Two, when they get involved, uh, make sure that what they do is they go in there and take the time to listen to the stories of the survivors and the people there. One of the things that they most need at this point in time is a listening ear. As much as a, a back helps or someone that knows what they're doing with a with a crowbar or uh, the kind of things that we do helps. The, our first job is to pay attention that these are people they are made in the image of God and they have been through a horrific time. So taking the time to listen, to pray with them, to, to be empathetic with them, to cry, as it says in the scripture, to mourn with those who are mourning is maybe the most important thing we can do because that's mm. what ultimately shows them Christ and gives them hope. Then we can get busy on the physical needs that they have. But the first job is more of a pastoral role mm. of letting them know that it is going to be okay, that God has sent us. We are not here because we are heroes or we're not here because we're good people. We're here because we are under orders of Jesus himself to come and assist, and he has brought us to you so that what we're doing is shining a light on the Lord who wants to, who loves them and wants to walk with them through this mess. Al Goff here on The Intersection. Learn more at gain, G-A-I-N-U-S-A dot O-R-G. 
Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's licensed mental health counselor Jay Stringer. He's also an ordained minister and speaker. He's written a book called Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. In a recent conversation, he discussed the inspiration for and concept of the book, offering principles to experience freedom in Christ out of sexual brokenness. From that conversation, this is Jay Stringer now. One of the things that's important about my work is that most of the clients that come to see me uh, are driven to see me because of some form of crisis. So maybe their spouse just found out about a pornography use. Uh, They uh, maybe just got arrested. Maybe they had something happen, like a sexually transmitted infection happen to their body. And so when they first initially come in, they're wanting kind of symptom relief. They're wanting Mm. to address this. And so that's often kind of just the counseling work is to really invite people into how is like this present place of brokenness actually revealing to you something of your life story that you haven't yet found. Um, And so one of the initial things that came out, especially with men, uh, was that a man who did not have a clear sense of purpose in his life was seven times more likely to increase his involvement in pornography. So these men looked back at their life and saw a lot of failure. They didn't really love the job or the work that they were in. And so one of the things that ended up happening is they began to use pornography seven times more than the average person that actually had a pretty good sense of who they were and liked the work that they were in. So one of the ways that I think about this just as a pastor as well is, you know, the the curse for a man in Genesis 3 is this sense of like, you're going to go through life and experience a lot of thorns and thistles. And at the end of the day, everything is going to go back to dust. And so when we're living with this sense of curse, one of the reasons why pornography becomes so appealing, especially to men, is that it gives them a world without thorns and thistles. They're able to get exactly what they want when they want it, and there's nothing else in the whole entire world that actually gives us that. And so that's part of what I would say about sexual brokenness is that so oftentimes we, it's accompanied with a lot of shame, and we try and hide that behavior, but the reality is, is that our sexual brokenness does expose our sin, but it also reveals the stories within us that await love. Probably to oversimplify it, but you were using the analogy of the house and talking about when when someone is tempted in areas, lustful areas, to actually embrace that and ask some questions. So how does that actually inform the process and lead to freedom? Once the questions are asked, examined, obviously your book and your work can give some guidance to that, but how does that actually lead to healing as you see it? Yes. So um, <clears throat> once that happens, it, that that's what I would love to kind of bring into this kind of accountability conversation. Uh, Because as so many of my clients will often say is like, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner for 10 years, for 18 years, something isn't quite working because so much of what they've had language to address is only lust. So it's like, yeah, I was lusting or I was lonely and therefore I used it. But then once you begin to get a wider picture of how our sexual life is actually informed by our story that gives way new meaning to conversation. So um, one of the things that we, I think especially as Christians often miss, is the, is the realm of power and anger within our sexual life. 
So one of the classic examples that happens in my office is that um, someone might come into my office saying, uh, you know, I'm really lonely and therefore that's why I look at porn. But then when you get into some of the dynamics that are happening in, in their marriage, they might go on to describe a fight that they had with their wife really about something as simple as the garbage um, or maybe a bid for intimacy that's rejected. And then in the midst of that, maybe an hour later, two hours later, the next day, they're pursuing pornography. And so if we're only using language of lust, but we don't really have the language to name that there's also anger that's present, not only in the the desire for sexual behavior, but also what they're seeking out in pornography, then we're really not going to invite that person into a place of healing and redemption. So the more that we can listen to, there's not just lust, but there's anger. And there's not just anger, but there's there's so much debris from their life of ways that they've been really powered over and have had a lot of difficulty inflict upon them throughout their life. That really creates this question of, do you want to heal some of these other stories that are informing this, or do you want to just stay in the same cycle of just seeing yourself as someone that struggles with lust? Jay Stringer here on The Intersection. Learn more at j-stringer.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can also reach the homepage in the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page and get connected to video content. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more about downloading the app for your smartphone or tablet by going to faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.